Thank you for all the good music. Thank you for participating in the singing and everything else. I hope you participated in the giving, too. We have to, have to be good stewards of what the Lord's blessed us with. So, If you have your Bible with you this morning, turn with me back to Daniel chapter number 3. We were there last week, Daniel chapter 3, and we talked about uh, how God kind of gives us a preview of the world we live in today and the way things will be uh, as the tribulation comes into to play uh, about a, a global world outlook and all the different things that will be going on and uh, conforming and the government control, social pressures, all of those things. We looked at those things last week. And I kind of brought out uh, this question here in chapter 3 from verse 15 about God that you, most of you, you know the story here uh, in Daniel chapter 3 of the three Hebrew children. <clears throat> These young men, along with Daniel and others, had been uh, brought back uh, into uh, Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar as he came through uh, the land there on his way back from making war against the Egyptians one time. He was on his way back. Uh, and so he, he takes hostages, of course, the most uh, famous one being Daniel and then these other three uh, Hebrews. And you know the story about the fiery furnace. That's where we find it here in Daniel chapter 3. Uh, so there's a lot here in this chapter. Uh, but I want, want you to notice that one thing with me today in verse 15. We, like I said, we mentioned it last week uh, in the message. But I want to talk to you more specifically about it today where... Uh, Nebuchadnezzar has set up the golden image. The three Hebrews uh, refuse to worship the golden image. They refuse to bow down to the image, uh, you know. And we talked about the idea, if you just, if sometimes we don't just use our brain and use common sense to think about stuff in Scripture. We want to be, you know, real theological and real studious and real holy and, you know, sometimes it pays just to be practical and use common sense and what does it say, you know. So if you think about the idea of what's going on here, everybody is bowing down except for three people. That'd be easy to notice, wouldn't it? Be easy to spot. You know, in the world we live in today, we don't have a lot of people that'd be willing to stay standing when everybody else bows. We've got to go along to get along mentality, and that's the worst thing in the world you could ever have. I'm not talking about being a rebel. I'm just talking about standing up for what's right. That's not being a rebel. When you stand up for truth and when you stand up for what's right, you're not rebelling against anything. You're standing for truth. And that's what God commanded us to do. Paul even wrote extensively about it in the book of Ephesians. Uh, when he wrote to the church there and said to put on the whole armor of God and stand against the wiles of the devil. God's people ought to stand for something. We ought to stand up for the truth and we ought to stand up for what's right. So that's what's happening here on the side of the hill. These three boys are standing up. Of course, the rule had been made that if you don't bow, you go into the furnace and so... Uh, all these people that don't like them anyway because God's favored them and Nebuchadnezzar has favored them above uh, their own people. 
uh, they're mad, and so they point this out to him, and he has them brought forth, and uh, he questions them on it. Is it true in verse 14, you know, that you didn't bow down and worship the golden image? In verse 15, he says, now I'm going to give you a second chance. If you hear the sound of all the musical instruments, you, you're supposed to bow down and worship. He said, uh, he said I, I want you to do that. Bow down and, and worship the image I've made. He said, and everything will be all right. But look at the end of verse 15. He says this, but if you worship not, you should be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hand? I just want to share with you this morning some things from chapter 3 here about who that God is, who my God is. I, I don't know about you. I can't speak for you. I can't answer for you about what you think about God or who you think God is or, or what you think makes up God. But I can point to you, I, I can point you to some things here in the scripture in this chapter this morning that will help you understand some things about the God I believe in and about the God of the Bible. We talked last week about getting your Ph.D. That means that don't mean post hole digger. Anybody can have one of them. But getting to the point as a believer that you get past having doubt. You get past having doubt. And you dig into the Word of God, and I think it was... Maybe Wednesday night we talked about meditation and, and what it means to, to get into the Word of God. Uh, then, you know, you understand the more you know of the book, the more confidence you have in the author of the book. The more that you trust in him, the more faith that you have, the more stock you put into what you read because it is real to us. As we give ourselves to it, it becomes real to us. So we have to get past having any doubt, all right? So here, here are some, some categories of things that the Lord is and what Scripture teaches and what these young men, I believe these young men, this is who they believed God was. This was who God was to them. Look in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Notice it says there, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. In other words, they didn't have to stop and think about it. It was already settled. You know, your life as a Christian would change dramatically if you just got some things settled. If you just got off the fence. This is what God said, and it's right. I'm not interested in your philosophy, not interested in what you think, not interested in how you view it. You know what that is, how, how, how we view it. That's called perspective, isn't it? And what is perspective? Here's a definition of perspective. It's the same or it's a perspective is a different view, a different view of the same facts. That's a definition of perspective. A different view of the same facts. 
does that mean the facts are different? The facts don't change. Truth is truth, isn't it? It does not change. But people have different what? Perspectives. They have different views on the truth, don't they? Well, this is how I see it. Well, it's truth is right. It's truth. How you see it doesn't really matter because you could be in the wrong spot to see it from. Am I right? So what the problem is not the truth. The problem is is you are in the wrong place to see it the right way. To see it the right way, you've got to get in the right place. Let me help you understand all that because I know it's confusing. Anybody ever watch Monday Night Football? What have they got? If you watch any kind of football, what have they got? It's called instant replay. And they got about eight bazillion cameras in the stadium, don't they? From every angle and every direction. And now they even got them in them little orange cones at the goal line. Got cameras in them. Why? Because they want to get to what? The truth. Not somebody's opinion. Because what? Their opinion could be misconstrued. Why? Because they're in the wrong position to see the same facts. The fact is, is you was either in bounds or out of bounds, and we got a camera angle that's going to prove if you was in or out. We just have to get where? To the right perspective, to the right view of truth. Does that make sense? So it's when I say I'm not interested in philosophy, I'm not interested in tradition, I'm not interested in your perspective or your view, then that's not being mean, that's not being ugly. What I'm trying to get you to see is there's only one truth that matters, and it's this book and what it says. And when we get our life in line with what it says, then things will be different in our life. The problem is not the truth. The problem is is maybe you're looking at it from the wrong perspective. You're looking at it from the wrong position. You've got to get in the right place to have the right view. All right? And these three boys were in the right place, and when they made the answer to the king, he said, Who is that God? They said, We are not careful to answer you. Why? Because it's settled in our hearts. So here's, here's the first point, if you're making notes today. My God is a God of confidence. A God of confidence. I'm confident in who God is. I'm confident in what God says. I'm confident in everything that there is that I know about God. I'm confident in that. He doesn't turn. He doesn't err. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't change. He's consistent. He doesn't lie. He's the same. You understand what I'm saying? You can have confidence in God. He's a God of confidence. And these young men had placed their faith in him. They had placed their trust in him. And because of that, they had confidence. And when you get some things settled in your life, you can be confident in God. Here's some scriptures that you can jot down and go back and study later. James chapter 1 and verse number 6 says that we're to not waver. We're We're not to be like a ship out on the open ocean just wavering back and forth. We're to be settled. We're to have confidence in God. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, God said that we're 
to be confident in every good thing, knowing that the one that started the work in us will perform the work in us. Our confidence is in God. He's a God of confidence. You may not understand things. You may not always can figure things out, but you can be confident in God. Number two this morning, my God is not only a God of confidence, but my God is a God of great ability. Look at verse number 17. He said, Our God whom we serve uh, will deliver us out of the burning, fiery furnace and will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Verse 18, But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Verse 17, he says in the latter part of that verse, He will deliver us. God is a God of divine ability. And let me say this, we won't belabor this point. God's ability is never in question. Never. Can you speak and worlds come into being? Can you take dirt up into your hand and add a little spittle to it and breathe in it and create humanity? God's ability is never in question. Go back and read the book of Exodus and the journey of the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. How God took care of them to get them out of the land and then once they were out of the land of Egypt, how he fed them every day and he watered them every day. Can you make water come out of a rock? Some of us can't even make it come out of a hydrant. His ability is never in question. We can be confident in God's ability. Psalm, we read this not too long ago, Psalm 78 and verse 19. Can God provide a table in the wilderness? He did it for them, didn't he? He can do it for us. He can do whatever it is that we need doing. Ephesians 3 and verse 20 says that he, he's able to do abundantly above. He can do more than you and I could ever think or imagine. You can't even dream up stuff that God can't do. He can do it all. His ability is never in question. Romans 16 and verse 25, that's another good verse about God's ability. So he's a God of confidence. He's a God of ability. And also he's a God of deliverance. Not only were they confident that God would deliver them, he said in verse 17, he is able to deliver us, but they said he will deliver us. He's a God of deliverance. You may go through things, and you may not understand things, but God will get you through whatever it is that you're going through. In the New Testament, it says it over and over again, this too shall pass. You'll get through it. You'll get over it. You may not can see the light at the end of the tunnel, but there's a light out there. And he'll help you to get there because he's a God of deliverance. See, when, we, when he said will there, that was an exercise of their faith. There's two types of deliverance, if you want to jot that down in your notes this morning. Two types of deliverance. One, there's present deliverance. That's temporal. There's present deliverance. Temporal. Then there's permanent deliverance. That's eternal. 
When we think of deliverance, we think of sickness most often. We're, we're, we're sick. We have cancer. We got the big C. We, you know, they set a date maybe, whatever it is. We don't know. And we pray for what? We pray for healing. We pray for deliverance from whatever it is that's the problem. There's permanent deliverance and there's temporal deliverance, present and permanent. God delivers sometimes. He heals physically here in this life, but sometimes he decides to give a permanent healing. Brother Jimmy had been suffering with this cancer. I guess in back in January or February they told him he had it. He'd been suffering and been praying and trusting the Lord, and I was just over there a couple days ago sitting there with him and Miss Pat, and we're talking, and you know what? He had made his arrangements with the Lord long before cancer ever came around. So when cancer did come around, wasn't that big a deal? He understood and knew that, hey, God might heal me of this temporarily. He might give me a, a present healing. But if he doesn't, I know I've got a permanent healing that won't be temporal. It'll be eternal. And just a few hours ago, he went on into that permanent healing. God healed him. You say, well, God didn't answer his prayer. He didn't heal him. That cancer killed him. No, that cancer didn't kill him. Because when you have eternal life, the Bible says it's a present possession in 1 John. Eternal life is a present possession. Brother Jimmy didn't die the other day. He just moved. He moved from Hammett Road to Glory Avenue. That's it. He just moved. So there is deliverance. It may not be the way we see it or the way we think that it ought to come. It may not be the way we want it to come. But I'm telling you, God is a God of deliverance. He'll get you through whatever it is you're going through. First Samuel chapter 17, little David's there. And he's making his plea before the king. And uh, he tells Saul, he said, God did what? He delivered me from the paw of the bear and the mouth of the lion. Delivered me. He said, and he'll deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. He said, he'll deliver his head into my hand. And what happened? David took that little stone and God took that little rock and put it in that giant's forehead and David went over there and took his own sword out and cut his head off. What did God do? He delivered his head into David's hand. God is a God of deliverance. Acts chapter or 16, uh, Acts chapter 13, I believe it is, several chapters you go look in the book of Acts, and the apostles found themselves where? In jail. And nobody ever had to go pay their bail and bond them out of jail because God broke them out. He delivered them every time. Doesn't matter what problem you get into. Doesn't matter what situation you get into. God will deliver you out of it. Here in the book of Luke, verse uh, chapter 23, in the book of Luke, uh, Jesus was hanging on the cross. And one of those that was hanging there with him realized who he was, didn't he? And he said, you're here justly and we're here unjustly. Or, or we're here justly and you're here unjustly. He called on the name of the Lord. And he said, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? 
And Jesus said, what? This day thou shalt be with me in paradise. He was delivered. He was delivered from that cruelty of that cross. He was delivered from the eternity that he would spend in hell that day on that cross. He went with the Lord into an eternal deliverance. God's a God of deliverance. Number four, God's a God of conviction. God's a God of conviction. Look there in verse 18. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. You as a Christian today, you need to live your life with no regrets and no retreats. No regrets and no retreats. But if not, even if we know he's able, we're confident in his ability, we're confident in the fact that he'll deliver us, but we have no regret, we have no retreat, we are not. Even if he chooses not to, we're still not going to serve you. That's what it means to have some conviction in your life. You know, people get that word conviction confused a lot of times. We need standards in our life. We need a, a certain standard that we live by in our life. And a lot of people want to call those standards or those principles convictions. Well, let me help you understand the difference. A conviction is something you'll die for. That's something you'll die for. I'm not going to argue with you whether or not a woman should or shouldn't wear pants or whether a man ought to have long hair or not have long hair. Those aren't convicting things. Those are preferences and standards, and you can base them on what the Bible teaches. A conviction is something you're going to die for. I want to tell you something. Whether Jesus Christ was virgin born is not up for debate. It's not. It's a conviction that the Bible teaches, and you as a Christian ought to have, that he was sinless. He was the sinless, virgin-born Son of God. If he wasn't, then we couldn't be saved. None of this would matter anyway. There are some things that, that we have to get nailed down that are non-negotiable things. And that's where they were. They had conviction in their life, and they didn't live with regret, and they didn't live with an idea well, if the heat gets turned up too high, we'll just back down. They didn't have retreat. Napoleon at Waterloo, the story is that he told his bugler, he said, sound the retreat. And the bugler said, I can't. And Napoleon said, why? He said, you never taught it to me. God's people ought to not know retreat. We just know charge. We just know go forward. Keep moving. Don't back up. Don't back down. Don't quit. Don't go along to get along. Don't follow the way of the world. Don't, 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 don't. Just do. Do what God has put in front of you to do. Have some conviction in your life. Job said, though he slay me, Yet will I serve him. Could you go through what Job went through and stand up and say, whatever it is, God, I'm going to keep serving you. That's conviction. 
That's having conviction in your life. Paul wrote to the church at Corinthians chapter 15, he said, Be therefore steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't back down. What about Naboth? Remember that guy, Naboth? He had a little old vineyard. Somebody wanted his grapevine. And every time, he kept telling them, It's not for sale. It's not for sale. They'd change the price. What would you? Not for sale. Finally, they ended up killing him. Why? Because it wasn't for sale. And they finally figured out he was a man of conviction and a man of principle, and he was not going to sell his grapevine. So they just killed him and took it anyway. Well, wouldn't it have been better if he had just worked out a deal? No. He's better off to do what God told him to do. Not sell the grapevine. We cannot sell out on God. We have to be men and women of principle and conviction and understand that that's the way God operates. Then we see in verse 25, my God is a God of comfort. They're thrown into the fire. Fire was so hot it burned up the ones that threw them into the fire. In verse number 25, the Bible says, this is Nebuchadnezzar speaking, he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. I told you last week, that's, that's, that's always amazed me. See, I believe every word of this book is true. I, I don't believe that, you, that this part of it that might be and might not be. And if you do, y'all just stay at the house and quit hindering the spirit for everybody that does believe it's true. And I don't apologize for saying that. It's either all true or it's none true. Remember that thing of perspective and viewpoint? And he said, the fourth one looks like the Son of God. How did he know that, Brother Don? That's mind-boggling to me. How did Nebuchadnezzar know what Jesus looked like? I don't have an answer. Oh, but he did. It says it right there in the scripture. He's a God of comfort. They were in the fire. He was in there with them. You're going to go through the fire. You're going to go through hard times. All them preachers on TV ain't done nothing but lie to you. Everything's not going to be rosy. Everything is not going to be good all the time. You're not always going to have a pocket full of money. Your car is going to break down every now and then. Your house is going to leak every now and then. Troubles are going to come. Your kids are going to disappoint. I mean, hey, the world's full of problems. Why? Because it's full of sinners. Some of them saved, but it's still full of sinners. We're going to have problems. But Jesus said he'd go through the fire with us. He'll walk through the fire with us. He won't leave us alone. Hebrews 13 and Hebrews 7. He said, I change not. He said, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You find that in Hebrews 13, Hebrews 7. He was right there with them. He's a God of comfort. How, how do you know? How do you understand? Romans chapter 15 and verse 4. The Bible says, through the patience and comfort of what? Scripture. 
we might have hope. The only way we know comfort, the only way we know hope is through the Word of God. And he'll, he'll be with us. He'll go everywhere we go. He's already there. Let me give you the next thing. Not only is he a God of confidence, he's a God of ability, he's a God of great deliverance, he's a God of conviction, he's a God of comfort, but he's also the God of salvation. He's the God of salvation. Look in verse 27. And the princes, governors, captains, and king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power nor was the hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. That sounds like salvation to me, doesn't it? I mean, there wasn't anything wrong with them. They, it was just like they had never been in the fire. There's a word called justification we like to use sometimes when we talk about salvation just as if I'd never sinned. Well, they were just as if they had never been in the fire. God saved them from that fire. God saved them from that hell that they would have burned up in. He's still in the saving business today. He still came. It has not changed. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. It hadn't changed. That's still the mission. That's still the great commission. That's still what we're here for, is to see people saved, to see lives changed, to see prodigal sons and daughters come back home and live like they ought to live. He's still in the saving business. Hadn't changed. God's a God of restoration. Same verse there in Verse 27, the Bible says, The fire had no power. Their hair wasn't singed. Their coats wasn't changed. And the smell of fire hadn't passed on them. Well, what does that mean? They were in the fire, weren't they? You and I used to walk and live in the world, didn't we? There was an old man, wasn't there? But the old man got changed, didn't he? What takes place when there's change, there's restoration. He restores. First Corinthians, the Bible says that we put off the old man and put on the new man. They came out of the fire. And everything they believed about God, they, it was already in their life. I mean, they was already walking the line with Jesus. But when they come out, what do you think they have? Stronger faith than what they already had. Because they proved everything that they believed. There's a lot of people, we're about to get to it in Titus. We've been going through Titus on Sunday night and Wednesday night, talking about the leadership of the church. And we're about to get to the point of where the opposition comes from in the church. Them unruly, wagon-tongued people in the church. They don't want to come under authority, and all they want to do is talk. The Bible says that they're vain talkers in Titus. What does that mean? It means their walk and their talk don't match. They do a lot of talking, but they don't do a lot of doing. 
Well, when they came out of the fire, they were men that were doing and decided to do more. And when you go through things, God allows things in your life to increase your faith, to strengthen your faith. Why? Because there's something more he wants you to do for him. God never allows these things for hurt or for damage in our life. And you as a church member today, you have to realize what's happening in church right now, the problems and the confusion that went on in church and, and the things that are happening in this process of change right now, God's not allowing that for a bad reason. He didn't intend for it to happen, but he allowed it to happen. And you can rest assured that the verses that everybody quotes from Romans are just as true in this situation as in any situation. God will take bad things and work good things out of them. And when you walk through the fire and when you go through these difficult days and when you don't understand, when you're willing to get in the right place to have the right perspective, you know what? You can have the same God these three boys have. You can walk through that fire and never have to look back. Never have to worry. Never have to doubt. Never have to fear. You can have confidence. You can say, well, hey, I remember a time back then when this happened and it looked like our church was about to go down. But God got us through it. God got us through it. I, I promise you today, I love being here and being with y'all, but I'm just a man. I can't fix it. I can't change it. I can't make it right. All I can do is try to love you through it, tell you what the Scripture says, but God, God can deliver. This is the God I love, and this is the God I believe in. This is the God I serve, and God can get you through what you're going through the same way he got these three boys through the fire they had to face. And we just have to put our confidence in Him, our faith in Him, our trust in Him. He can do whatever it is that needs to be done. Are you here this morning and you don't know the Lord? You know religion, but there's a difference in religion and relationship. There's a big difference in that. I'll tell you how you know the difference. Because I sat beside the difference the other day as that little old bony hand clinged on to a little metal pole on that hospital bed in his living room. The difference is when you're sitting there and you know you're facing death, you got peace. And you've got a calm. I've sat there with them when they're wringing their hands and they've been in church your whole life and they're just not sure. Well, preacher, I just don't know. Well, I can't make you know. I can only tell you what you need to do. But it's still up to you. More than anything else, today you need to know that you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and you're not hanging on to religion. Because religion will just lead you to ruin. But a relationship will lead you to a whole new level. It'll change your life. It'll make a big difference. It'll take a weight off. It'll help you breathe again. And not only does he offer salvation, 
He offers restoration. Maybe you're here and you've been saved. You've trusted the Lord. But you just haven't been walking with him like you should. Haven't been following along with him like you should. Been bucking him a little bit. You know what? He'll he'll get you right back to where you left off. If you'll just turn to him. He won't make you go back and retrace all the steps. You left him way back here, but you know what? If you just turn around, he's right there. He's right there. And he'll pick right up with you. And he'll carry on walking the journey with you. He's a good God. God of restoration. Let's bow our heads as she plays this morning. God's wonderful. He loves us. He spoke to your heart this morning and you don't know him. We want you to know him. He wants you to know him. You know, we wouldn't ever want to embarrass anybody. But we would want to help you to see him today. We'd want to pray with you. Let you know how you can know that you're on your way to heaven if you die. If you're here this morning, nobody's looking around. Everybody's honest before the Lord. Nobody's looking but me. Just so I could pray for you. If the Lord spoke to your heart. You'd like to say, Preacher, I just I don't know today, but if I died, I'd go to heaven. I just want to pray for you. I promise I won't come to you and I won't send anybody to you. Would you just raise your hand and say, Preacher, pray for me that I might know that I'm on my way to heaven. Anybody like that anywhere in the building? Thank you. Anybody else anywhere in the building? Thank you. Maybe you're here today. You're saved. You're on your way to heaven. But there's been things between you and the Lord. Maybe just some attitudes, maybe some actions. I don't know. God spoke to you about those today. You'd just like to get them right with him. Can we pray for you? Same thing. Nobody's looking. Thank you. Just hand up right back down. We just want to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Those of you that raised your hand second, you might be the key to somebody coming to know the Lord today. We're going to ask you first if you don't have to come to the altar. But if you'd like to, it's open. It's not a time of embarrassment. It's just a time to get closer to the Lord. Because I promise you, even the people that didn't raise their hand, God spoke to them about something today. Because I'm the preacher and he spoke to me about something today. God's given you the courage would you just come and take time to pray and talk to him? Maybe it's not to make something right. Maybe you just want to come and pray for somebody else. Maybe you want to come and pray for Miss Pat. Pray for that family. And God to strengthen and encourage them. Just come as a believer this morning. Talk to God for a minute. Come on while she plays. We won't wait long. Few coming. You come and join them. While she plays, I'm going to ask everybody to stand. We keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If you're one that raised your hand this morning, that 
you're not sure if you know you go to heaven if you die. I'm standing down here in the front, in front of the table. I'd love to be able to talk to you about that, pray with you about that, or get you with someone that could, if you'd be willing to come. You just come take my hand. Nobody's looking. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'll either take you or somebody will take you, talk to you about your salvation. While we wait a minute, you come as these pray. Father, we're thankful this morning for your word. Thank you, God, that you preserve these stories of men's lives that you had your hand upon down through history. God, you gave them to us as a record of who you are and what you can do. God, you can do the same thing in our life. We'll exhibit that same faith. God, if we'll get to the point in life that we stop doubting you and start trusting you, start acting on the faith that you've given us. God, you can make our lives so much different. Or there's people here this morning, they acknowledge before you that they're not sure about their eternity. God, I pray that you'd just give them the confidence, maybe before they leave the property today, that God, maybe as the crowd dies down, they'd find me or they'd find someone else that they trust in. And they'd sit down and talk with them, Lord, and let them show you, show them from your word, God, how they can know for sure they can have heaven as their eternity. Lord, thank you for these that have come, Lord, just to pray, to talk to you, to get closer to you today. I pray, Lord, you'll just strengthen them. Lord, give them courage to do the things that you've put before them to do. God, help us as a church family and a body of believers, Lord, to be unified and to, Lord, stand in these last days. God, I pray for Miss Pat and their family, Lord, that you'd just help us to love on them and strengthen and encourage them in this hard time. Lord, others that are sick and going through hard places right now, I pray, God, that you'd just encourage them and strengthen them, send the Holy Spirit to minister to their needs. God, then give the rest of us the wisdom and the grace to be a blessing to them, Lord, while they go through certain things in their life. God, I pray that you'd help all of us just walk closer to you. Help us to be the witness and the example that we ought to be when we live our lives out in public each day. When we come together as a church body, God, I pray, Lord, that you'd just help us. God, help this church to find the man that you have to lead them, Lord. I pray, God, that you'd just give them wisdom and give them grace as they search. Lord, I just pray that your will will be done in everything that we do here for you. God, I pray for all the missions effort and the work that goes on from day to day. God, you'd just continue to bless it and not let Satan gain an advantage in anything. That God would just be bathed in prayer, be bathed in love, and it'd all be for you. God, we'd lay personalities and egos aside, dear Father, and we'd just seek to serve you, to love you. Thank you for your wisdom and your protection as we go about our way each day. 
God, I pray for the services tonight. I pray for Brad, that you'd just give him a special touch, Lord. I pray, God, you'd help his body. I pray, dear Father, that you'd help him overcome this sickness that's been ailing him. I pray that you'll help him to be able to speak your word tonight. Lord, I pray for all the other churches in this area. God, would you just send revival to this area. God, would you speak to their hearts, speak to our hearts. God, help us to make a difference. We know that we're in the last days. God, we just want to be found faithful. We love you, and we're so thankful for what we've shared here together this morning. Pray that you'll ask your blessing to it. And Lord, we'll go away and be refreshed. Be glad that we came and we were in your house. It's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen.